could he do that? Are you on What? Charles Darwin. The nerves is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brabber, and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today we are doing our final of six NBA division previews as we get ready for the season. We still have one NBA preview episode remaining, and that is where we will address our playoff predictions, lay out our final standings, give our award picks. All of that is coming next Monday, the day before the season. But as far as going team by team goes, this will be it. So Logan, we have done now everything except for the Atlantic division, which we put off pretty much because we didn't know what was going to happen with Ben Simmons. Now, it appears that he is probably going to play for the Sixers. He has reported. Doc Rivers says he expects him to play. So we will get to that. Maybe off the bat. I don't know. Because I don't know how, who you have at the top of this division. And I always allow you to dictate. So either way, we've got a storyline. We've got Kyrie. We've got Simmons. We've got contending teams. And this is just really top to bottom. A very strong and interesting division. But I will allow you to set the tone here. So who do you have winning the Atlantic? I don't think uh, I'm in the same boat as everybody else uh, when it comes to the Atlantic Division. I've got the Philadelphia 76ers winning this division, and I just think all the additions that they have made have drastically improved this team, Carson. I think they have more shooting throughout this lineup. I think they have more versatile wing defenders throughout this lineup. I think Joel Embiid will continue to play at an MVP level this season. And I think he's going to get even better. He's in the 97th percentile of offensive points per possession last season. Was in uh, most people's eyes, uh, you know, the second leading MVP candidate for most of the season. And I just think, dude, it's it's instant offense whenever you give the ball to Embiid. And I know I'm stating the obvious here, but it's he improved his jump shooting to a unconscious level, just hitting stuff from the elbow where he's unblockable because he's such. He's so tall. He can just shoot over anybody from the perimeter. When you try to close out on him, he's fast enough and strong enough to where he can just blow by you and get to the rack. Like, I think Embiid continues his MVP level uh, production. He's going to lead this team out. And I think if they run the offense through him, Carson, it's just going to be... This offense is going to be so much better. Again, I touch on the shooting. Seth Curry, Danny Green... Shake Milton, you've got Tyrese Maxey, even Furkan Korkmaz, Georges Niang, the new wings that I was alluding to that they've added down in the depths of this roster. I think Isaiah Joe has gotten even better. And I don't expect to, and and I expect this defense to pretty stay at a, uh, stay at a pretty high level. The one thing that I think can mess this team up, Carson, is Ben Simmons. I think it is in this team's best interest, I think it is Ben Simmons' best interest that they move off of him. Because in preseason, without Ben Simmons out there, the 76ers have looked damn near unstoppable. The floor is opened up. You've got four guys spacing it at all times with an open lane, and that's in the starting unit and in the bench unit. And with the addition of Andre Drummond here, I love it. I know you were hating on me before we started the podcast about my affinity of Andre Drummond in this lineup. From what we've seen from him in preseason with an open lane with shooters around, I like him running this bench unit, Carson. I genuinely do. He's got a little bit of a floater game now when he gets into the lane. He's not just trying to barrel into guys. He was facilitating a little bit in this offense. He's setting hard screens. Like, dude, situation is everything, Carson. And, of course, Andre Drummond is going to look like total dog doo-doo when he's alongside Anthony Davis and there's no spacing on the floor. I just – I think with Ben Simmons off the floor, it opens up so much more room for everybody else to do their own thing. All of these young guards that I mentioned, Tobias Harris now able to run the floor in transition – and just has more room to operate. 
I just think Ben Simmons clutters up everything about this team. Now, granted, he does bring that defensive value here. He's a transcendent defender. You broke down a video on Ben Simmons and what made him so great. And I think Ben Simmons can work here, Carson, but it has to be in the context that you laid out in your video. Ben Simmons has to commit himself to a role where he is not going to be running this offense. He has to commit himself to that Draymond Green role. If that doesn't happen, I think Ben Simmons hurts this team in the long run and makes them worse. And honestly, I don't know if they win this division if Ben Simmons is here. The Sixers, I'm going to go on record here and I'm going to spoil it. The Philadelphia 76ers are my title favorite. But if Ben Simmons is here, I think he ruins and clutters everything, bruh. That's that's my fundamental issue. I I don't want Ben Simmons to play for this team. I think they will be a much improved team if Ben Simmons is not here. You have more spacing. You have more room for all of these guys to operate. The guards will improve. There's more room for Tobias Harris. There's more room for Joel Embiid. There's more room for Andre Drummond to help on this bench unit. They're shooting up and down this lineup. I just think Ben Simmons hurts this team, and they'll be better off without him. And I give them a title shot if he is not on the floor. I'm not really all that close to understanding this take. Not as far as the Simmons factor, because I'm a big believer in Ben Simmons. I think he is a very talented basketball player, but I don't think this is the spot for him whatsoever. I think we've seen that time and again. And honestly, I say I'm a big believer in him. That is relative to expectations. I would say that before last year's playoffs, I was probably not considered a Ben Simmons guy in the scope of things. I was aware of his deficiencies. I was critical of his deficiencies, especially when it comes to playoff basketball. And then all of a sudden, everybody thinks he's absolutely useless. And I just don't think that's true. I think he's a guy who can be the ultimate utility man for you, a supersized, more athletic Draymond Green kind of player with the potential to push and transition, guard multiple positions at a very high level, facilitate in spots, work as a short roller. I think he can be really, really great. I just don't think he is ever going to be the kind of lead scoring ball handling star player that people want him to be. And I don't think he is ever going to find a role in Philly because I understand that Joel Embiid came out and said about Ben Simmons, it felt like we were always having to tailor things around him and we had the shooting and whatnot. And he said, I was the worst three-point shooter in the starting five at 39%. I just don't think that is the stat you judge by. And I said this in the video, it's not about efficiency from deep. It's about willingness to shoot from deep and actual floor spacing because Tobias Harris and Joel Embiid do not want to sit behind the arc all day and be spot-up shooters for obvious reasons. They're much more skilled than that, but that is not complimentary to Ben Simmons. So it's not that I take issue with you there, even though the Sixers were incredible with Simmons and Embiid both out there last year and played at the rate of a 70-win team and like were leaps and bounds better than everybody else in basketball statistically. I think he is their second best all-around player. I understand your skepticism. What I then don't understand is how removing him makes this team a title contender because they don't have an elite perimeter initiator. Guess what? Every contender needs that. You don't win meaningful basketball games in the final moments without that. You don't win with Seth Curry attempting to make those big-time shots from the perimeter because you don't have anybody who, again, has that skill set. You don't have anybody to run volume, pick, and roll. That's a notable flaw. I don't see where the shooting that they've added is that you're talking about. Are you talking about Nyang here? Because like, there's nobody new on this roster. This is, for all intents and purposes, the same team as last year with Andre Drummond replacing Dwight Howard, which I just don't care about. That's a lateral move, if not a backwards move. So if... I'm sorry. When I say new, I should have... You're right. I don't mean new shooting. I guess I just mean new spacing in removing Simmons. And the fact that 
Who's the fifth starter? Shake Milton? Yeah, probably. Shake Milton is a very ass shooter. Like, I mean, it's better than Ben Simmons, but it's not changing the entire dynamics of an offense, and it's not replacing the value he brings defensively in the playmaking and the transition value and all those things. I just don't know how you can watch what the Sixers, and I get it's preseason. I just don't get how you can watch what they have done. Like, dude, I'm just saying that teams have to fear every shooter on the perimeter, and if you run your offense through Embiid and just let him facilitate out of the post, let him run your offense— Hell, let an Embiid initiate from the perimeter. I'm not saying in late-game moments you run offense through Embiid. I think in late-game moments you probably go to Shake, you probably go to Tyrese, you probably go to Seth Curry. If Isaiah Joe continues his streak, maybe he becomes a just a valuable rotational piece in here that you can rely on. All I'm saying is I just think removing Ben opens up the floor for Embiid and Tobias Harris to run this team. And probably in late-game scenarios, I guess I'm going to Toby. And no, that's not a... I guess it's it's still going to be tough in the playoffs, Carson. But removing Ben Simmons makes this offense, in my opinion, top five in the league because you have a guy like Joel Embiid at the forefront of them. And I don't think they're losing. Carson, this was the number three defense in basketball last season. And I still think removing Ben Simmons, I don't think they drop off far from that. I still think they're probably a top 10 defense. But I would take that improvement offensively easily in a heartbeat. Yeah, I just fundamentally disagree with you about the offensive ceiling of this team like putting solid shooters who are completely limited to that skill set around these two guys Logan the Brooklyn Nets exist the Jazz exist like there is just a level of talent around the NBA that is so far surpassing what the Sixers have that it's a joke I'm just saying dude I believe in Embiid that much as an attention drawer to the paint. I believe in Embiid enough as an offensive engine if they let him if they let him run the show and by himself. Like, I think Embiid is going to be one of the best basketball players. I think he's going to be one of the best guys in basketball this year. I'm probably going to have him win the MVP in my projections. I just think, I think you let Embiid take over. Having Simmons out there limits them. I genuinely believe he was holding them back that much. I genuinely believe that. Yeah, I strongly disagree again. I don't think that Joel Embiid is a one-man offense like you're projecting him to be. He does not have that level of playmaking. Like, he's learned how to pass out of a double, and he's an incredible one-on-one scorer and a fringe top-five player in basketball and was rightfully in the MVP conversation last year. He is a freak, but he is not a guy who is going to run your offense for the entire team out of the post. He can actually, but it's not going to be an elite offense. It's not going to be an elite offense when you have Shake Milton, who's going to shoot 35% from deep, and Danny Green, who's going to shoot 37%, and then one elite shooter in Seth Curry. Like, There's just not enough creation here. NBA offenses don't work like this. They don't have zero guys who can both score and facilitate at a high level. Toby can get his buckets one-on-one. That's fine. Honestly, late-game shot-making is not my primary concern. It's just general perimeter creation and facilitating. And this roster has none of that. And they can be good offensively. Like, to be clear, I think this is a really, really good team with or without Ben Simmons. I think they're going to win in the mid-50s. And I think they're a second-round playoff team. But to say that they are the title favorite does not compute to me. Because, again, if you are going to have one offensive superstar... You need a Luka Doncic, a LeBron James, a Nikola Jokic, a Steph Curry, a scoring, playmaking, hybrid freak, a James Harden. This team does not have that. 
but they're still going to be great defensively. Like, that's what I think Brooklyn is fundamentally missing. That's why I'm picking them. Dude, Brooklyn is going to have the worst defense in the league. They're going to be one of the worst. Like, the Sixers are going to be stout defensively. And, bro, I'm telling you, every possession, I would start with Embiid on the perimeter, and I'd let him create. I would let him go to work. He does not want to do that. That's not where he's at his best. Like, he's skilled there. I mean, the mid-range shot-making we saw from him last year when he's hidden better than 50% is disgusting. But give him the ball in the post. That's what you have to do. If you are trying to do anything else, Logan, you are conceding you do not have an elite offense. Because Joel Embiid, when he is bringing the ball up the floor, and he does some, did some of this stuff last year, it is a concession that you are inept everywhere else. And he's not dissecting the floor. He's not running pick and roll. He's not scanning for cutters and shooters. He is ultimately shooting a mid-range pull-up or just putting his back to the basket anyways. And that's good enough. What I'm saying, Carson, is I'm not saying that I want him to run pick and roll. That would be an that would be a stupid statement. I would be stu I would be ashamed to come on nerd session and say that, bruh. Because it's not like Embiid has that handle. What I'm saying is Embiid is getting that first touch. And Carson, what big man can defend him one on one? What, Rudy Gobert? Like, he is going to have a gravity where guys are gonna have to pull off of him or it's instant offense every time. Look, obviously you're not suggesting that he's going to run pick and roll. My point is that's not how NBA offense works. You don't give the ball to a big man every time from the three-point line and say, hey, have fun, especially when teams know what he's going to do. Teams know that he's just going to get into that mid-post area. And guess what, Logan? Teams can double him, and sure, he'll score efficiently one-on-one. -on -one. He'll attract attention. I'm not saying the Sixers can't be a good offense. What I don't understand is how you can compare this to the Jazz, who are going to shoot 40% from three and who have four high-level creators out there at all times, or the Brooklyn Nets, who we just saw have the greatest offense ever. Like, you don't have to be as good as the Nets. You have to be in the same ballpark, though, and they are not in the same ballpark. And by the way, they are unequivocally going to lose something defensively if they don't have Ben Simmons, which also they are unless a trade happens. And when you have a guy for a full offseason saying, hey, I want to be here to the point where I will neglect my teammates, like I need to go out and leave this situation and nobody is able to strike a deal with you, that's very telling. And that is going to ultimately hurt this team as well, not just because of issues on the basketball court, where I think, again, he probably makes them a better regular season team. The dude is a very talented player but just in the morale effect, just in having to play with a guy who you know actively disrespected you and neglected you and would not be there if this were not a worst-case scenario for him. I mean, you made a good argument, bro. Like, I'm just saying that, I don't know. We're going to have to wait and see, aren't we? I'm expecting improvement from Maxi. I'm expecting I'm expecting improvement from Milton. And again, bro, I'm not saying that these guys, Carson. I guess my fundamental point, I think Embiid is good enough to get you close, to keep games close, and then in late in games you're gonna have to go off of him. But like, I don't, I don't know, bro. I guess we just fundamentally disagree on the 76ers. I'm not satisfied with the explanation though, because it doesn't make sense to me. This offensive talent just doesn't compare. It just doesn't to the other contenders in the NBA. Okay. Like, Seth Curry is your third best offensive player. And sure, he was fantastic in the playoffs, but that's not going to be enough. Again, this is presuming in your world where Ben Simmons isn't there to muck it up because you said that that's your preferred situation. 
it's just not enough, dude. I think Ben Simmons still does make them better again. I don't think he makes them a title contender either way, though. Like, what you're losing defensively without him is significant. You can start Tease, but guess what? Then you are just worse offensively, clearly, by far. I just don't buy it, man. I don't think that we're going to see Shake or Maxi be, like, legitimate perimeter creators. I love those guys, but again, it's relative to expectations. Tyrese Maxey is incredibly skilled. He has a nasty bag. We still haven't seen him reliably knock down a three, though. And Shake is just much too inconsistent to be relied on for actual essential offense. So I think that, again, they're going to be a great team. I don't know how you could look at them, and they were 39-12 and 12 just when Embiid played last year. They were the number two defense in basketball. They're really talented. If Simmons does play, they have three at least borderline all-star level talents. Toby was damn near 50-40-90 last year. The guy's a bucket. He's outstanding. But I just don't see what's different about this team. Like, I don't think that the liberation and the spacing that you are anticipating from Ben Simmons not being there is nearly enough to override the fact that we said throughout the entirety of last year that they needed more dynamic perimeter offense. That proved true. They lost to a team that they were more talented than in the Atlanta Hawks. And it wasn't all because of, again, a lack of dynamic perimeter creation, but it definitely didn't help. And Seth Curry had to play out of his mind and still it wasn't enough. Like all those things to me about this team are still just true. I don't think they're in the same tier, frankly, as the top two teams out East. I guess I won't make a 76ers championship video then, bro. I guess I'll just, you know, shoot that dead here, huh? Well, why not? Do you not believe it anymore? I mean, what I do, there's nothing I can say that is going to change your mind on this. So I guess I'll just stop. I'll talk about some of the other guys on this roster that I like. Uh, Paul Reed balled out in the G League last year. was one of my favorite young guys in the draft. He is, he's a competitor, dude. Defensively, he brings a dynamic to this team that I like. He competes on the wings. He competes on the paint. He's active uh, on the glass. Like, um, he's another guy that's going to get rotational minutes here. Again, he balled out in the G League. I just think he's a hustle guy that you want uh, in this lineup. Uh, I talked about Korkmaz and Niang, both smart, switchable defenders, can knock down their catch-and-shoot attempts. Um, and I do like this bench. I think they have gradually improved. I think you've got a couple swing guys here. I just, I like this bench too. Like, I think that they're going to be really competitive with Embiid off the floor. Again, I like the addition of Andre Drummond into the fold. You might not. I think they're going to be competitive with whoever they're running there. We just disagree. I think this. I think this offense is going to be really good, and we're going to have to wait and see. But uh, I'm not going to. I'm not going to try to change your mind. I mean, this offense is really good. It's just a question of being good enough. And we saw last year when Embiid played, they were a fantastic team offensively. Again, when Embiid played, period, they were a fantastic team. I just don't think. As I've said, that there's enough perimeter creation, and I don't think they're going to do well in the non-Embiid minutes really whatsoever. I don't like this bench all that much. I think that it's contingent upon Tyrese Maxey taking a significant leap that I'm not going to discredit because I've been a big-time Maxey guy, but I'm also not going to bet on it. And then other than that, I just don't think that there's a depth of valuable wings here. Again, I think Andre Drummond is a lateral move from Dwight Howard. This team just feels to me like last year's Sixers, especially because, Logan, I know that you want to talk about Ben Simmons not being there, but right now the indications are that Ben Simmons is going to be there. And if Ben Simmons is there, 
This is just going to be a thoroughly unpleasant place to play basketball. And I don't think they are winning a title when their best players hate each other and everybody on the team has turned against one of their most important guys. So I just haven't seen anything from this team that would suggest to me they are going to go out there and win the title. I still think they're going to be really good. I have them winning 55 games. I think they're going to be really good because, again, we can't ignore the fact that when Embiid was healthy, when Embiid and Simmons were healthy, they were leaps and bounds better than everybody else in the regular season. But I don't think they sustain that. I think it's ultimately too flawed of a team, and I think that they finish as the three seed out east. What's your prediction for the Sixers? No, I've got them winning 54 games. You actually have them winning more than me. I'm assuming that number is probably going to come down slightly. Um, yeah, I, they're probably going to be one of my top three seeds uh, out east again. We'll, we'll get into this on Monday. I'm not sure exactly where, but 54 wins is my unofficial total for Philly. So uh, you think that they project much better as a playoff team, or why do you have them winning the title if you only have them winning 54 games? I, I mean, I talked to you about this in the elevator. I just think we're going to see a league-wide kind of regression towards the mean um, I just think the league is an entirety is getting better, and I think we're just going to see a lot of teams get closer to, you know, to 50 wins, like like good teams. You know what I mean? Like I don't know if the I don't know if I'm going to have an NBA team winning more than 57 this year. You know what I mean? Like I just think we're going to see records as a whole in the NBA this season kind of come closer to an average. Interesting. I guess I would just think. To me, the Sixers are as they were last year a better regular season team than playoff team. And so I would think that if you're going to have them winning the title, you'd pretty much have them with the league's best record. But okay, some staunch disagreement there. I think we're going to disagree pretty strongly on the next team as well because you just gave out your NBA title favorite. Now we're coming up on mine. I assume, unless you're going crazy off the board here, who do you have second in the Atlantic? Yeah, I got the Knicks finishing second here in this division. Uh, No, obviously I have Brooklyn here and... The Kyrie situation, I mean, like, it matters. It definitely matters. It takes them It takes them down, certainly, a peg for me, but this is still going to be instant offense. You're not going to be able to stop James Harden and Kevin Durant from just getting buckets on you. Like, all this shooting on this team, Joe Harris, even Blake, like, it's going to be stupid. Again, when you have two offensive engines like KD and James Harden, offense is just going to be instant. Uh, I do have them... I have them winning less games than the Sixers. I actually only have them winning 51 games. I'm going to spoil it. Carson, I think they're going to have one of the worst defenses in the NBA this year, and I think the only thing that can save them is maybe if they start Nick Claxton and he ends up being like one of the best rim protectors and just defensive big men in the NBA, I think Nick Claxton is going to take a leap. Like I think he's just going to be a lot of fun to watch. He has been a beast in the minutes that he's gotten, you know, a potential Giannis stopper come playoff time, which they desperately need. But, dude, I mean, off the bench – You've got Paul Millsap, LaMarcus Aldridge, and like these guys are projected to get a lot of minutes. If you're playing Millsap or Aldridge, I pity you. Good luck, Brooklyn. Like, I expect this defense to be atrocious. And then you just want to talk about guys being locked in. Like, yeah, sure, Joe Harris, Bruce Brown, KD, they're going to give you a lot of effort. Blake, probably going to start at the five for this team unless we get Claxton. Like, Blake's still an undersized five, and against guys like Embiid, against like just bigger centers, I just still expect him against body. They did a good job against Giannis, but Giannis is different. You know, you can give him that runway and shut him down. I just think, I think it's a, it's kind of like your Titans take for the NFL, Carson. I think the Nets are by far going to have the NBA's best offense, and I think they are by far going to have the league's worst defense. I just think they are atrocious on that end. 
And, like, dude, you're asking James Harden to be engaged. You're asking, like, you're just asking a lot of this team to be locked in defensively. And I just, I just don't see it, dude. I think the Nets are going to be absolutely atrocious defensively. So they were 22nd in defensive rating last year. Why do you think they're going to be significantly worse? Because they lost DeAndre Jordan? Yeah, I, dude, I just don't like... Carson, who's the best defender on this roster? That's an interesting question. Is it Bruce Brown? Bruce Brown has a decent case. I mean, I think that KD is a pretty good defender when he wants to be. And here's kind of my take with the Nets. I don't know why they would be worse defensively. Like, DeAndre Jordan, overall to this team was not a positive defensively. Like, sure, he brings you value as a big body and a rebounder and a rim protector, but he is also so lacking in mobility and can be undisciplined and just isn't the smartest interior defender. And they ended up being four points per 100 possessions worse defensively with him last year. So I just think that you look at the other options that they have, they were 11 points per 100 better with Claxton out there defensively, 11 points, Logan. That's 98th percentile stuff. I think that he is absolutely valuable as a highly switchable athletic option. He needs to add size. But then I also think you talk about them running Blake at the five. That's what they did in the playoffs. And that's when we saw them play by far their best defensively. Like the Nets had the number four defense in the playoffs. And I think that sure, part of that was aided by the matchup. But at the end of the day, Blake, he's not a very good rim protector, but he is a strong interior presence. He's 6'9", 250, and I don't think he is going to single-handedly kill them. I think that if this team plays with effort, they can be respectable on the defensive end. I think that we saw that in last year's playoffs, and then I think we are looking at a group that is going to be, as they were last year, the greatest offense ever. And by the way, I say that expecting that they will not have Kyrie Irving because Kyrie is not allowed to practice with the team. He's not allowed to play for the team until he gets vaccinated. And it's certainly possible that he does that. I'm not going to bet on it, though. Like, that dude is off the wall, man. He's on his own planet. And maybe I shouldn't guess what he's going to do either way. But my feeling is, given how staunchly he has been in opposition to this, that he has just taken a harder stance than anybody else, I don't think he plays. However, I really don't think that matters all that much for this team. Like, sure, with him, they would have a level of offensive talent that we have never seen before. They would have three isolation creators, the caliber of whom we have never seen collected on the same group ever before. Really, we've never seen anything close. However, as is, they have the greatest scorer on the planet who is also a high-level playmaking engine. They have one of the absolute greatest scoring playmaking combos who can drop 26 and 10 effortlessly night in, night out, and James Harden, a savant isolation creator, and pick-and-roll ball handler. They have one of the best catch-and-shooters on the planet in Joe Harris, and they just have shooting all around. And then they have nifty role guys who can do various things, a Bruce Brown, a Blake Griffin. I like the depth here too, but I really think this starts with KD and Harden because we're looking at two top five probably offensive players in basketball. Maybe not. It's ridiculous, the talent, but certainly KD. Harden is right there in that conversation. And these dudes are going to be motivated, man. I honestly think everything going on with Kyrie may end up just being fuel to the fire. Because if you look at where these guys are at in their careers right now, KD hasn't won a title in three years. That's a long time for a guy like him at the apex of his powers. He hasn't played more than half a year of basketball in two seasons. But when we did see him last year, 
I think he clearly made his case for best player in the world. Regular season, he was 27, 7, and seven and five and a half on 54, 45, 88 splits. It was a level of efficiency as a score that we have almost never seen in history. As a team, the Nets were 10 points per 100 better with him. And then we saw when he had to go superhuman in the playoffs, boy did here. And he dropped 34 and 9 on 51, 40, 87 splits. To me, KD is a guy who is going to sustain, not 34 a game clearly, but he is going to play like the best player in the world this season. And I think he's my MVP pick because we know the skill set is there. It's just about health and motivation. And I think the motivation is going to be there. I actually don't think that this Nets team folds in the absence of Kyrie and in spite of the adversity. I think that this is a team that clearly would have won the title last year had they been fully healthy, probably even if they had two of their three-star guys healthy. And I think that they are aware of that. I think they are fueled by that disappointment. I think KD goes superhuman. Harden obviously has a ton to prove. And I think we saw what he could do last year as a one-man offensive engine. You give him KD on the wings, that just goes up to another level. And I think that last year, the mentality for this team was, we're just going to coast to the title. And they didn't really ever have time to get it all together. They were never fully healthy. And there was never that sense of urgency. I think with a full offseason... That is completely different. And if you are putting two players of this caliber together offensively with very legitimate offensive talent around them, and again, they were the best offense ever last year, I don't know why they wouldn't basically replicate that success. And by the way, when Harden and KD played together, they were 9-2 and in games just that Harden played, at least. They were 29-7. and There comes a point where if you're the best offense ever, and you can just be mediocre defensively, you're probably going to be the best team, especially when it comes to playoff time. And the effort component is what kills so many regular season defenses. That's not an issue in the playoffs. As we saw, again, the Nets were a top four playoff defense. They were a better playoff defense than the Lakers. They were a better playoff defense than the Knicks. They were a better playoff defense than the Clippers, than the Jazz. All these absolutely elite regular season groups because when they dial in, They can be competent there. And if they can be competent there and they have two offensive superstar all-time talents like KD and Harden, I think that they can beat anybody. And I think that they will beat everybody if they are motivated, which I think they absolutely will be. What's your take, Logan? I mean, as it comes to the playoffs, I don't disagree. I think there is a defensive ceiling that this team can reach, especially with Nick Claxton at the five playing a heavy role in the rotation. I agree with you there. To the point that they're going to be motivated in the regular season, I just think you're wrong. Like, yeah, maybe they're motivated by the loss of these playoffs. Maybe they're motivated by Kyrie being out. I just don't get why we should expect anything different from them this year. Like, I just, I expect them to slack off in the regular season, to just try to coast to victories. Like, I just don't, I don't expect a different level of effort to be there in the regular season. To me, it feels obvious almost that we're going to see a different level of effort. Well, I also want to say, I also think you're just taking for granted just the health of KD and Harden for the entirety of this season. Like, I'm just, again, I'm just worried about them being able to hold up for an entire regular season once more. I'm not trying to be that guy, bro, but James Harden does look, he looks like a bowling ball, bro. He looks like Santa Claus out there. That man's fat. So, Harden still looks out of shape. I'm not saying that's going to keep him from playing games, but I I do worry about these guys staying healthy. Like, if you lose one or the other, what, is this like a slightly above 500 team? Like, what do you... Like, if they lose one of these guys, are they still your title favorite? No. 
but they're very good. And by the way, let me just address all of that because when it comes to the health thing, James Harden is one of the most durable players we have ever seen on a basketball court. Like, he has not missed significant time for injury once in his career, and last year he ended up only playing 44 games. That's, like, by far the most games he's missed in a season. Before that, he hadn't missed more than 10 games in basically a decade. Like, he had only missed more than 10 games once in a single season. So he is just an Iron Man, and he is always out there. And KD... I guess that, sure, you can be a little bit concerned. I also think that they were very conservative with his health last year, again, because their mentality was, we just need to get to the playoffs, and then we're going to win it. So I'm not going to write off the concern, but KD has also generally been a pretty darn healthy player. Like, there's been a couple of exceptions, obviously, the Achilles tear being the biggest one of them. But when it comes to the motivational aspect, how can we look at these two guys who are all-time great offensive talents, who have, again, had such a rough go at it for these last couple years and count out the fact that they will be highly motivated. Like, I understand that we expect great players to take the regular season easy and whatnot, but there comes a point where you need to have a LeBron 2019-20 Lakers season where you go out there and you prove something. A Steph Curry season last year when you reassert yourself as right up there for a top three player in the world. And if there isn't a time, if there is ever a time to do that, it is right now for the Brooklyn Nets coming off of disappointment with one of their three best players in the loony bin and, again, having not asserted themselves as the top dog in basketball for either of these individuals or for the team in years. So that is why I expect that kind of effort. And I think the guys around them will follow suit and will always play hard because, look, if you have these two guys as your leaders you know what you're playing for. You're playing for a title, and even if the regular season isn't the top priority, I think it is going to be much more of a priority than it was last year. Like, to me, that just feels intuitive. They have to go out there. They have to prove something. They have to show that they are at this level because if they don't, their names are just going to be dragged through the mud, and if anybody does not want to go through that, it's Kevin Durant, and James Harden, I'm sure, has had his name dragged through the mud plenty for his liking in the last half decade plus. So that's where I come down on the whole effort motivation thing. I, I'm, I, as, as the chat is pointing out, uh, yeah, I'm worried about KD more than anything else in staying healthy, but I don't know. Those things are random. And I agree with you, Carson. I just think the Nets are also just kind of a boring pick, bro. I'm not a boring guy. Yeah, I mean, if you look at this logically, yeah, they have two of the best offensive creators in basketball. Yeah, there's probably a new ceiling they can read. Uh, they can reach in the playoffs, but I still think we have to be concerned about them. Let me ask you this: If the Nets run into like the Bucks again, like why do you not like? I don't know, bro. I just feel like the Bucks are almost like a a damn near perfectly constructed team to like to really challenge the Nets. The healthy Nets made the Bucks look like a joke last year. They were running them off the court. They held them to 80 points in consecutive games. They 40-pieced them pretty much in consecutive games. I mean, that series should have been 3-0 every single time, and that was with two of the members of their big three healthy. So after Brooklyn, then, like, who do you think is the biggest competitor for Brooklyn out east then? I think it's Milwaukee. And you don't think it's close? I wouldn't say that it's not close if Kyrie's not out there because I think that clearly Milwaukee is a higher two-way ability, 
But I just think there comes a point, dude, when you have this level of offensive creation that it overrides other things when you can just be competent defensively. And I was in the camp last year of being skeptical of the Nets because of their defensive deficiencies. And you went through the historical precedent and the last team that I think even wasn't a top 10 regular season defense to win the title was the 2001 Lakers, I believe. And that was just because they were coming off of a dominant campaign and they were kind of just like in coasting mode. I understand the precedent. I just think they can break the precedent. And it's tough. I don't think the margin is huge between them and some of the other teams, but I think offensively, they can do stuff that nobody else can. And I haven't even gotten into some of the introductions that I think are really valuable here because I do think that this team has improved depth-wise. And I think that you can look at a couple of their creators off the bench and they've just added talent, dude. I think Cam Thomas is an immediate impact guy. Like, we saw this guy score at a historic volume in college where he's the highest scoring SEC freshman in, I believe, like 30 years. And then we saw him go out and win Summer League MVP and be the highest scoring first-year guy to play more than five games in a half decade, more than four games, I should say. And now we've seen him go out and drop 13 a game on 50-50-86 splits in preseason. I just think book him to score double digits as a rookie. Scores do not come into the NBA this developed. They do not come into the league with this combination of size and skill and touch and deceptiveness and shooting ability. Oh, I thought Logan was storming out for a second. I just think that this dude is a special, special scoring talent. And then I think on top of that, you have the addition of Patty Mills, who is a real quality sixth man. And then you have the depth brought by some of the bigs, like a Paul Millsap, like a LaMarcus Aldridge, where those guys aren't exceptional talents, but they're solid players. They're capable of providing depth. And I think that we see their skill sets amplified in situations like this. We saw that with LaMarcus last year, where he just has a little extra spring in his step and his offensive skill is just amplified again. So I just think top to bottom, dude, we may be looking at the best offense ever. And I don't think they lose anything defensively. I don't think they lose much offensively because guess what? Statistically, they were incredible just with Harden on the floor. We saw what they could do just with KD on the floor. With the two of them together, this is an unstoppable group. And so I just don't have as many questions as you do. I really don't. I think that this is... Maybe not the most all-around talented team in basketball, but it's the best offensive team in basketball. Let me ask you this, because you were the biggest out... Is it just that you expect more effort out of these guys? You expect a different takeover from this team? Like, what changed? Like, you were you were one of the biggest net skeptics. When everybody wanted to just give them the NBA title last season, you were their biggest... You were their biggest hater. You were the guy that was trying to, you know, calm the flames, calm everybody from just giving them the title. What changed? You just don't think anyone can keep up with them offensively? A couple things. First of all, I think I was wrong last year. And I think that we saw that by the end of the season. A healthy Nets team was going to win the title. I think that I was caught up in my concept initially, first of all, when they added James Harden of... I don't know if there's going to be enough ball to go around. And what I think we saw is that just was a faulty premise. Like there was plenty of ball to go around and each of these dudes was going to be a top five one-on-one creator and each of them could play off ball just because of the threat that they pose as a catch and shooter. And it was effectively perfect offense. And by the time we got to the playoffs, I think I was holding out hope for a two-way ceiling from a team like the Lakers. 
that the Nets maybe theoretically couldn't have reached. And what I think we saw was that nobody else could keep up with them offensively who could reach that level defensively. The team that concerns me most in that conversation is the Jazz because the Jazz are just this free-flowing machine and they're going to be a top-five unit probably on both ends again. And maybe they are better and they have exceptional depth. But dude, I just think the superstar quotient matters, especially when the guys can complement each other. And KD and Harden can do that. So... To answer your question, I think that everybody else got lucky last year that the Nets weren't at full strength. And I think that they can replicate that success for the most part with or without Kyrie Irving. And uh, that's pretty much it, dude. Like, we literally just saw them of the best offense ever. They shot 49.5% from the field, 39% from deep. Those were both top two marks in the league. They had an offensive rating of 117.3. And I don't know why... They can't do the vast majority of that again. So the margins are slim, but I'm going to bet on guys of this level of offensive talent to go out there and do it. I just think that we've seen that that matters. And by the way, what I should also have addressed is that the defensive concerns to me were just overrated. Like, sure, I talked about that precedent. And then I think we saw what they could do and that they could play perfectly competent defense. And I was like, you know what? They're just better. They're just better. There's a level of skill, of shooting, of overall offensive ability that nobody can match. And if they just bring, again, the effort and the mentality night to night that I think they will, I don't think anybody is beating them. Okay. No, I mean, that, that does it for me. I, dude, Carson Breber admitted he was wrong last year. Guys, let me tell you, that's never happened before. You've never conceded an argument in my time knowing you. What are you talking about? Do you want me to run down the examples? No, no thanks. Instead, I'll actually... Zion. <laughs> All right, I was very wrong about Zion. I've said that plenty of times. I'm just yanking your chain, bro. Get a load of this guy. You want to talk about a guy like Cam Thomas uh, in this lineup. I want to talk about another one of my favorite rookies. Uh, I don't even know if he's going to get a whole lot of PT. You know, they added Millsap here. They added Aldrich here. I don't even know if there's burn for him. I want to talk about Dayron Sharp a little bit, dude. I was really excited when the Suns drafted him on draft night because I thought he was going to be that backup big that they needed. Instead, Brooklyn gets him, and I just think it's another really talented rookie added to this already talented group of players here. Dayron, dude, if he gets minutes, he is your prototypical big man, big body guy that is going to hold down the rim for you. But the thing about Dayron that's really special, man, is like, yeah, he's a really good role man. Yeah, he's a really good rim protector. He's a monster on the glass. Uh, I'll remind people, if you didn't watch our draft, uh, if you didn't watch our pre-draft videos uh, that we did with Carvel, um, Dayron led, uh, led the NCAA in offensive rebounding rate. And so, like, he's a beast on the glass, but he uh, slicks the wheels of this offense, man. He's a high IQ, like, ball mover. And again, I'm not saying he's going to change the entire dynamics of this team. But look, if this team gets tired of LaMarcus Aldridge or Paul Millsap, dude, you've got another big man you can plug and play in this lineup who is going to play defense at a really high level, rebound at a really high level, like, help this offense move along. He's just a kid that I really like, and I really like him in Brooklyn because it's a winning situation where potentially he could contribute on a championship team uh, Dayron's just one of my guys, and uh, I'm so happy he landed in one of these winning situations. Yeah, I like Dayron too, and I think that when we talk about why I don't think that they've lost anything defensively, it is because he's another guy who I think can rotate in. And uh, maybe that's a lot to ask of him early, but 
I don't know, dude. There are matchups in which I think that this team can be fine at the five. Like, they're going to be playing mostly small ball because even Nick Claxton at the five, he's 6'11", he's long, he's a center, but he's 215, and he's not a traditional big whatsoever. His value is his switchability and his versatility. And then Blake, again, is a sturdy presence, but he's not that kind of dynamic, crazy long rim protector. He's 6'9". So they have to get creative. But I do think if there's an elite bruising big man, we may see some Dayron Sharp minutes over a guy like Nick Claxton. I think that Blake is probably the default there because he's tough to move and he's tough to just bully. But Dayron Sharp is even tougher to move and tougher to bully. And I just look up and down this team, man, and I think you're going to get really exceptional shooting from your three best players. Blake, we've seen can knock down his open threes at a relatively high level. Bruce Brown is just a Swiss Army knife. We love him here at Nerd Sesh. And then I just think the bench is really strong. So maybe this is an irrational amount of faith in this team without Kyrie. Maybe I am understating what could possibly hinder them defensively. But I just think what we saw in the playoffs last year was if they had even a healthy James Harden, nobody was stopping them. I don't know who was coming all that close. So that was my takeaway, and that's kind of driven this. So I have them going 58 and 24. I have them as the one seed. You said you have them going 51 and 31. Does that make them your four seed? Yeah, probably. Wow. Interesting. I mean, I I can see a reality if the effort isn't there and the defense is inept. I think, though, KD is not a guy to just say, eh, you know, it is what it is. We can suck. I don't care all that much. He's sensitive, and he's going to want to really prove some people wrong this year, and I think that that's what he does. And again, I think he's probably my MVP pick. I just got a Twitter notification. He's really upset with you for calling him sensitive. Katie, I'm vouching for you, bro. I'm saying I think you are going to win MVP in the title. I think this is a crowning season for Kevin Durant. I think this is, if last year's brief playoff run was not a reminder, a reminder of the fact that he is the best all-around scorer of the basketball that we have ever seen, that he's completely unstoppable, and that he is right there in the conversation to be a top 10 player of all time. That is my expectation for this year. Let's move on to the third team in the Atlantic. Who do you have here? Dude, I'm not even going to lie. I went back and forth with this one, dude. I, I had a really tough time because I think both of these teams are really close in caliber, and I only have them separated by one win. I have the Celtics here in the three spot, but I'm telling you, dude, I have a lot of concerns about Boston this year. I did a video uh, last season on, you know, why the Celtics got out to such a slow start, why they were struggling so much, and I still have a lot of concerns about this team. Like, my, my biggest one is just just the two guys that are at the forefront of this team and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, and it's, it's a problem that you should have with any team constructed like this. It's just that they're not natural creators or not natural playmakers for other guys on this roster. And I don't really think there's a guy that's kind of, you know, in this roster that fits that mold. Like Dennis Schroeder is not a natural creator for other guys. Like I'm just worried that I'm worried about the natural manufacturing of offense here. And and then you've just kind of got, you know, spotty off ball shooters here. Like you're again, entrusting your faith in Marcus Smart and Dennis Schroeder to knock down off ball shots. And again, I have supreme faith in Jason Tatum. I think Jason Tatum is maybe a top five player in basketball this season. He is going to be damn close to 30 points per game. Like, I think Jason goes up even another level, bro. 
Is there an outside Jason Tatum MVP case there? I guess they're not going to win enough games by your production, but you think he is borderline top five. Well, you know, I have a, a thousand top five quarterbacks, so maybe that maybe I'm overrating him. I think top ten for sure. I think Tatum is that. I think Tatum is that nasty, that cold. Top ten for sure. So just to be clear, that means he is surpassing Dame because Dame is in that ten or eleven spot right now. Like. The top 10, dude, we could run it down, but it is just utterly disgusting. I have faith in Tatum, dude. I have faith in Tatum as a pure scorer. And again, I don't know if this translates directly to good offense for the Celtics. I don't know if this translates to wins because, again, Tatum's not creating for other guys. He's just a stone-cold bucket, but that's what I expect out of the guy. And that burden's there, dude. Again, like, not only are you entrusting in guys off-ball to knock down shots because it's basically, it's kind of going to be like the Clippers, you know? Pick and roll for Jalen. Pick and roll for Tatum. Both of these guys, like, again, I expect Tatum to be 29-30. I expect Jalen to probably be 24-25. Like, I expect both of these guys to get their own fair share of buckets. As for the rest of the guys down this roster, there's a huge burden on these young guys to really produce, Carson. Like, you are putting your faith in Peyton Pritchard off the bench to run this unit. You're putting your faith in Aaron Neesmith uh, to play a big role in this rotation. Maybe some Romeo Langford minutes down here. Josh Richardson, too, the new addition in town. And I just don't know how much I like it. Richard, I like off the catch. I believe he was uh, like 47. Yeah, he's 41% from the 47% off the catch. But he's going to be tasked with running the bench unit here. I don't know. He's decent out of the pick and roll, but I don't know how many opportunities he opens up for other guys. Josh Richardson is going to get some minutes here running the running the second unit. Uh, Josh Richardson to me is just eh. Like he's cool. As you know, a bit of a Swiss Army knife, and then he can do everything a little bit. It's just a jack of all trades, but he doesn't do anything at an elite level. And then just looking at the rest of this bench, Carson, I genuinely think Al Horford holds this team back. I think Al Horford is reaching his. Are you shocked at that statement? Are you kidding me, dude? I am all in on Boston Al Horford. Go ahead, give your take, dude. But I think he looked good against the Raptors, and as I said when they got him. I thought that was a very underrated pickup. Very underrated. Because he didn't play, basically, in OKC for more than half the year because they were trying to lose games. And the year before that, he was in his nightmare scenario in Philly. But I think that dude brings a lot of value still to winning basketball. That's interesting, dude. I just feel like we're getting... I feel like Al Horford is getting to like his Marc Gasol stage, dude. Like I just think he's not mobile enough. In... Why are you so shocked at this? Dude, because he looked good against the Raptors. He's moving fluidly. He's playing with effort. He hit four threes. He has that value as a quick decision maker out of that high post area. Like, I don't think he's a game-changing player, but we have still seen him produce 13 a game on near 40% shooting from deep. I still think he can defend at a decently high level. Like, I'll be clear, we're not getting anything close to fringe all-NBA Al Horford. He's not a top 50 player in basketball, but he's a good basketball player. And this team was desperately in need of good basketball players last year. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. Offensively, I do like Al Horford here because, again, guys don't really D him up at the three-point line, and if you give him those free shots, he's going to make you pay. He's a good decision maker, like you said. I like him operating out of the low and high post, but... I just think defensively, man, getting back in transition, defending the rim straight up, I think you're losing something. I don't really see outside of Robert Williams a good defensive big man. Like, it is a huge burden on him to protect the rim at a high level. I think they should have kept Moses Brown instead of Josh Richardson and maybe gone out and gotten, you know, somebody else in that do-it-all role. 
I just don't like I don't like their interior defense at all outside of Rob. And I don't know, man. I, I just have questions. I got a questions about a lot of these guys off the bench, Carson. So what is your projected starting five for them? Schroeder, Smart, Jalen, Jason, Rob. Interesting. I don't think Schroeder starts. Who do you what do you start? Peyton? No, I think that you probably start either Josh or you play a big lineup like they did in their first preseason game against the Raptors and you start Horford and Robert Williams together. That's interesting. Let me just ask you this about starting Schroeder. Do you think there's nearly enough ball to go around there? Because if we're talking about Tatum and Jalen being these perimeter initiators, running this volume isolation and pick and roll stuff, Dennis Schroeder to me does not fit into that. Honestly, dude, call me crazy. Do you start like Aaron Neesmith or something? Just a guy that's going to be a knockdown shooter? Like, I don't... To me, if you're starting Richardson, it's kind of redundant in the same way of starting Schroeder if you're going to make that debate. Like, I get what you're saying because I don't think there's enough ball to go around. And for an on-ball creator like Dennis Schroeder, he needs a rock in his hand, so maybe that six-man role is better. I just think you need a straight-up shooter off ball, bruh. And I don't know, dude. I, I get what you're getting at. I also don't like starting Robin Horford. I think that's kind of clunky. Yeah, I don't know if there's an ideal solution there, and this is part of what kind of holds me back with the Celtics too is some of the fit things, some of the shooting questions, some of just the overall smoothness of this team, some of the playmaking. I have questions. I think that if you are starting Richardson, what you're betting on is that he returns to being a 36% three-point shooter like he has been over his career as opposed to a 33% shooter last year and a 34% shooter the year before that, where Philly, you could blame it on the congestion and the spacing. Last year, he just had some really hideous stretches and played, frankly, just his worst basketball overall. The Mavs were worse with him out there statistically. They felt worse with him out there, and he just did not ever find a role. However, I do still think he's a good basketball player, and I think that we see time and again, changes in situation can invigorate guys. I don't know that it's supernatural, but I do think defensively on the wings, they would be stingy then, dude. One through four, you have Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Josh Richardson, and Jason Tatum, and a rapidly improving Robert Williams, who can at the very least protect the rim and block shots as something of a deterrent there. That is just an athletic, long rangy, competitive group, dude. So I kind of like that. And the Horford thing, I think, is tough. I do want to see him play a lot, though. I want to see him play 20-something minutes a game. I don't love him starting with Time Lord either. I think it maybe could work because offensively, we have seen him grow more and more willing to just kind of sit behind the arc. But I also think that you're losing something of his playmaking from inside the arc. And I think that defensively, I don't like him guarding fours in some matchups. I also don't love him, again, being the centerpiece of your defense at this point. I just don't think he's quite as effective there as he was a few years ago. But still, he's a good basketball player. And I think that what we have sort of ascertained through this conversation is that they have options, and I think their top seven is pretty good. Like, I don't think that the deep bench here is great. I really like Peyton Pritchard. I think Neesmith is better. I definitely don't think he's ready to start for a team that's trying to win a whole lot of games. But I think he's better Outside of that, though, I don't love it. 
But you know what? You only really need eight meaningful good guys, and I think that the Celtics have that. So I just think you look at this team, and last year was a nightmare scenario, right? With all the injuries, with all the disappointment, they still finished as a top 10 offense and as the number 13 defense in basketball. And when Tatum and Jalen were out there together, they were 28 and 23, which was a 45 win pace. So Kemba had his issues last year. He had a lot of issues, in fact. You're still losing some dynamic creation on the perimeter without him, no question. And they haven't replaced that anywhere. But I think this bench is a good bit better. I think they should be an above average team on both ends. And I like their offseason. Like, I still don't think this is a team that is anywhere near contention. And I also kind of went back and forth between them and the other team in this division who's in the conversation. Spoiler alert, it's the Knicks. I ended up settling on having them below New York for reasons that we'll talk about in a bit. And part of it is just the fit and questions about how it gels and questions about the weirdness of how this offense is initiated. But I think they're a solid shooting team. I think they're an above average, possibly very good defensive team. And I just think all around, they're going to be pretty much pretty good. What do you think about the young guys down on this roster? Like, what do you think we see out of Pritchard, out of Neesmith, out of Langford? Like, are they big swing guys for this team? Can they make this, I'm not saying a genuine contender, can they make them, uh, you know, a tough out in the playoffs? Sure. To me, them being a tough out is going to be driven by Jason Tatum going insane and Jalen Brown being a 25-point-per-game scorer alongside him. Peyton Pritchard is a guy I have a lot of faith in playing already. He was good in the regular season last year, and he was phenomenal in summer league this year, and I just think can play off ball, can create, can shoot the hell out of the ball, good decision maker, going to compete on defense. Like I'm comfortable with him as an eighth guy for sure. Neesmith, again, got better last year after for the first half of the season he looked out of place on an NBA court. The shooting is there. Outside of that, though, I just don't know right now. And then Romeo Langford. I just need to see more development. I need to see more consistent shooting, and I need to see him sort of find a role without the ball a little bit more, and I'm not overwhelmingly confident. So I don't think that either of those last two guys play a significant role. But again, I think that this top eight is pretty good. The thing is just, to me, even though I love Jason Tatum and I think he has an all-time ceiling, he's not being put in the optimal position to show that. Mm -hmm. He is a guy who really would benefit from having a great floor general, from having a Chris Paul, like we see from a guy like Devin Booker, where these dudes can play make, they actually get pretty good at it, they can be pick-and-roll ball handlers and great scorers, but fundamentally, they are dudes whose value is unlocked because of their scoring ability, because of their pure scoring ability. And when Jason Tatum is enabled to do that and has, again, a really good floor general and playmaker alongside him, I think we will see the best version of him, the most efficient version of him, the version that is most conducive to winning. And I don't know that we see that this year. So I think it's certainly progress from last season because last season just kind of sucked. But I don't think there's an overly high ceiling for this team. I have them going 46-36. and I have them as my eight seed out East, which just tells you I think this is the best Eastern Conference we've seen in my lifetime, mm-hmm. like genuinely, as far as depth goes especially. What's your prediction for the Celtics? Exact same record. But seeding, you don't know yet? No. But I think you're going to have them as a top eight team, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm going to have them and the Knicks probably as both top eight teams. 
Okay. Any other thoughts on Boston before we move on? Wancho Hernan Gomez is here. It's good for him. Yeah, shout out Wancho. I do think, actually, I'll give one more take, that we see a Dennis Schroeder revival because I know that everybody's take was just, again, to be super anti-Dennis Schroeder and ha-ha, look at the silly German man who didn't get his money. But at the end of the day... This is a dynamic athlete. This is a guy who we saw score 19 a game efficiently two years ago, and that was a nice situation for him, but it's really just about the consistency of his shot because he's a good playmaker. He's incredibly good at getting to the bucket because of how quick he is, and then it's just about, you know, can he shoot 38% from deep instead of 33%? I think that that is a huge portion of what the difference between him two years ago and what he was last year really was because that allows him to fit more easily alongside other people. That allows him to just create for himself off the bounce at a different level and be respected at a different level. But even still, dude, taking what he did last year, he was 15 and a half and six, basically. Any team in the league is taking that for their sixth man. And I hope that that is what he is for the Celtics. And if he does do that, and if he can capitalize against more bench units as opposed to starting fives, I think that he can really excel. So I think the Celtics are a lot better. I had them up in the 48-49 win range, but then I was like, I just don't know what the offensive ceiling is. And again, we talked about some of the weirdness figuring out their starting five. I don't know that I love the complementary talents in any of those groupings. So I have the Knicks above them. You do not, though. I'll let you go on New York first, and then I'll give my spiel. Yeah, again, I only have them separated by one win, and if I'm being frank, I... I think that the Knicks probably have a higher ceiling on both ends of the floor than the Celtics, and they have looked smooth here in preseason. They have upgraded a lot here in free agency. You go from Reggie Bullock and Alfred Payton to Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier uh, in this offense. I mean, you're still going to be tenacious defensively if you're New York. They had the third defensive rating last season. They're going to be dominant on that end again. I mean, when you have guys that just guys work for Tibbs, man, guys grind, and you're going to see that again. Mitchell Robinson is going to anchor this first unit. Nerlens Noel is going to anchor this second unit, and guys are going to fall in line and grind their asses off to make this defense work, to give them probably another top-five defense once more. This also plays into, you know, how, how they play their pace. They're just a slow-paced team. But again, in the half court, this offense is going to be so much better, you know, simply because of the spacing that you get from Fournier. Uh, I expect R.J. Barrett's shot to be a little better. He shot 50% from deep here in preseason. I'm not expecting, you know, a massive leap there, but I think his shot's going to be improved. And then, dude, I, you know, I, I can touch on the bench here, man. Uh, Emmanuel quickly, 47% off the catch last season. I love the kid. I think he's gotten even better. I think he just has such a good just I just think he has such a good feel for the game, man. Just such an innate I know where to go, I know where to move the ball. Just, they have such a dynamic group of guards here. Derek Rose was awesome last year in that six man role. It's the perfect role for him. You've got Alec Burks here too, who is a stone cold bucket off the dribble. And that's why that's why Carson, I'm not as concerned with my worries about Kemba Walker. Because I am worried about Kemba here. Now, I think Kemba does one thing that this team didn't have last year, and that's simply just facilitate, just move the ball to the open guy. Kemba still makes good decisions, and that's something that they really need. Just another guy who's going to make good decisions. But I am worried about him, man. I'm worried about him health-wise, especially. This is a guy who, 
I mean, he missed 33 games. He missed 29 games last season. Excuse me. He didn't play in any of the Celtics back-to-backs at all. Struggled with knee injuries uh, on the entirety of the year. He was worse out of the pick and roll. He was worse as a shooter. He was worse off of the dribble. And again, in three games in the playoffs, you know, he wasn't at full health. He shot 31% from the field, 17% from deep, and averages 12.5 points per game. So I think just Kemba is just a general question mark. Obviously, he's an upgrade from Alfred Payton, but he's just a question mark in general. Yeah, he's an improvement. I'm just worried about him. I think you have to be after what we saw last year. That being said, I do think we see R.J. Barrett grow a little more. Um, We have to see consistent growth out of that jump shot for me to really believe in him. Again, that's the trait that separates dominant uh, on-ball guards from other ones. He's still a piss-poor dynamic shooter, and I don't think that changes. I don't think we're going to see major growth in his step-backs or his... uh, you know, his fadeaways, but I don't really think that matters, Carson. I think that if he gets his mid-range shot going, which there's proof that he could continue growth there. He shot 44% on pull-up Jays, which is a weapon that he is going to need to utilize out of the pick and roll. He shot 118 floaters last season. He hit them at about a 40% clip. If that grows anymore, it's just another tool in his toolkit. So I don't think you're going to see it statistically. Again, when you add a guy like Kemba and Fournier, I think the scoring is going to be really spread out throughout this entire lineup. But I think Barrett does marginally improve. So, honestly, Carson, now that I've talked it through, I think probably by year's end, I think the Knicks are probably going to be better than the Celtics. I think they're probably going to have a better offensive ceiling. I think they're probably going to have a better defensive ceiling. They're honestly, in my opinion, I think they're deeper. I think there's just guys that I like more down the depths of this roster. We just got to see it. You know what I mean? That being said, though, I have my questions about Kemba. Outside of that, though, I don't really have any other questions. You know what you're getting with the rest of this group. Feisty defensively. You've got decent shooting throughout the entirety of this group. And they're going to be hardcore. I can see this team winning a playoff series, though, man. Easily. With this defensive-minded group, you've got a creator that if Kemba... It's all dependent on Kemba, though. Clearly. Kemba has to be at his best for this team to win a, win a playoff series because he's going to be their best perimeter creator. And if he's not there, I probably don't see him winning a playoff series. I probably see him getting swept in the first round. What do you think? Yeah, I think winning a playoff series is a lot to ask of any team in the NBA this season. I do think the Knicks are really good, though. I think they're in a completely different class from the team we saw last year. And that will not be reflected in their record. But they went 41-31 and last year with the number 22 offense in basketball with one really high-level creator consistently in their starting lineup. This offense was so heavily predicated on Julius Randle, who had to take this monumental leap to get there. And my take throughout the entirety of last season was, this team is not as good as people think they are. This is not a sustainable formula. When it came into the Hawks matchup, I said these two teams should not even be compared as far as talent and ability. And guess what? All that proved true. And Julius Randle was effectively dismantled in part because he just struggled shooting the ball, but largely because... The Hawks' strategy was, okay, once he gets that mid-range area, we are going to send a second defender his way. We are going to force him to be a playmaker, which, by the way, he actually did pretty well. And then the Knicks' fabled catch-and-shooters, where they had been one of the most efficient three-point shooting teams in basketball, sucked and shot them in the foot and just did not knock down enough triples. And the offense stagnated, and they took away the rim with Clint Capella. And it was just like, hey, they looked at this team and thought, we only have to take away one guy. We take away one guy... And we're clear. And we're on a different level. And this offense is nothing. 
and you just can't do that anymore, man. It's not even close. Like, there is so much more creation on this roster. The offense just flows. The ball is moving. Guys are trusting each other to make shots. That Pacers game, dude, preseason, sure, but they had 100 points through three quarters. And you just see there are possessions where you can utilize Julius Randle more creatively. He doesn't just have to be this bulldozer trying to get downhill every single time or trying to create a mid-range jumper for himself or collapse the defense. He can be a catch-and-shooter more often. I hope to see him used maybe as a short roller more often where you get to weaponize his playmaking. Kemba, dude, I understand your concerns, but at the end of the day, they've still added a guy who to me is going to be a 20-point-per-game scorer almost unquestionably when they needed that kind of offensive punch. That's very valuable. I'll take the under. I'll bet you right now. All right, I'm thinking about this. Sure, why not? Let's take it. I said almost unquestionably. I don't know if I'm that level of confident because there are a lot of guys who are going to produce here, but I think Kemba is going to score a lot of points. I think that Fournier is going to be in a good role here where he can mostly be a weapon off the catch and will create some. I think R.J. Barrett, you talked about the improvement in his shot. I mean, after the All-Star break last year, he was 43.5% from deep. He became a different player, and this is a great role for him to me because he shouldn't be a number two option offensively. His playmaking is solid. I don't know if it's there. I don't know if his general creation off the dribble is there. Like, I think that he is in a great spot as a catch-and-shooter and as a guy attacking closeouts and using his athleticism to get to the rim, but again, not a guy attracting the majority of the attention from a defense. And so I just think this team is balanced offensively. There is really shooting everywhere now. Defensively, I think some regression is inevitable because you lost some talent there and that introducing Kemba and Fournier, those guys are not going to be plus defenders. But I still think the culture, the effort, they should still be top 10. They still have length and toughness. And then the depth, dude, it is impressive. D. Rose was obviously electrifying down the stretch last year, and the playoffs was their most reliable offense. Your guy, Emmanuel, quickly, legitimate, high-level, seventh or eighth guy. We know what Alec Burks can do as a pure scorer of the basketball. And you just kind of run down this roster, and Jericho Sims has gotten some minutes and looked pretty ready to compete. Tosh Gibson is a guy you can slide in there, and maybe it's not the prettiest, but defensively is going to give you val value. Obi Toppin looks better. I will hold out hope for my guy, Deuce McBride. I don't think he's going to play a ton, but Quentin Grimes, their first rounder, maybe on the back end of that rotation, could be kind of pro-ready as a 3 and D guy. So I thought for a while it was going to be really close between them and the Celtics, and I thought I was going to have the Celtics just giving the benefit of the doubt to Tatum primarily, Jalen too as a second star, and their additions and then I thought about it, and I watched them play preseason basketball, and I was just like, this team, it's like they've been completely overhauled. They are that much better offensively. I hated watching the Knicks play offense last year. Like, mad respect to Julius Randle for what he was able to manufacture and the load that he took on, but when he doesn't have to do that, I think he's going to be a lot better, and he'll still have his possessions where he is that offensive engine and where he is creating out of drive and kick situations and whatnot and that can still be good offense for them it'll be better offense though with the shooters they have around him now and there will be other options to make this group more unpredictable more dynamic and really just better all around so I would say it's more likely that the Knicks win 50 games than it is that they I don't know what I would compare that to actually I don't know drop below 500 I just think they could really win 50 games and it's tough because of how good the NBA is right now, and 
keep in mind with my predictions right now, I'm 54 games over 500 for the league as a whole. So I need to drop almost two wins per team on average. So I don't know. Maybe I have to take one from the Knicks, but I think they are a different group. And I think that a lot of the criticisms I had of them last year are pretty much invalid at this point. Maybe they don't have offensive superstars, but they have four, five actually, including Derrick Rose, really good offensive players, and they just couldn't have said that last year. You're saying six, Emmanuel quickly. Logan says Emmanuel quickly. Sure, sure, bud. (laughs) IQ is a superstar. I want to flip you off right now, bro. That's just downright disrespectful. I'm not going to do it, you know, because I'm a gentleman, but you know, don't do my boy like that. This man laughed at me because I said Emmanuel quickly was my favorite NBA player. You get a load of that? I'm sorry. I feel like if we go to the court of public opinion here, first of all, I respect everybody's opinion, okay? And I'm a First Amendment advocate. And I think Emmanuel quickly had a very impressive season. It's just a little surprising to me when somebody's best player averaged eight and a half points per game. That's all. There's a lot of choices, Logan. It's a big wide world. There's 500 NBA players. He respects everyone's opinion, and yet he disrespects mine. I appreciate that, homeboy. Anyway, um, I want to touch on some of the young guys you mentioned. Yeah, Quentin Grimes is buried in this rotation. He's a good 3 and deer. He's athletic as hell. Like, again, I don't know how many minutes he gets. I like the kid. I love Jericho Sims, though, dude. And he does a really simple role. But this is a guy that I project that can do a really simple role at a high level. Again, he's in that rim rolling, setting screens, rim protection role. But it's perfect, dude. He gets vert, he's athletic, he's bouncy, like, and he sets hard screens and just rolls to the rack. Like, he just knows his role and he plays it exceptionally well. I think this kid, I I don't know. Again, I don't know how many minutes he's going to get because it's kind of, again, it's the same role as Nerlens Noel and Mitchell Robinson. Both of those guys are already further along than him defensively, but he knows what he's doing and he draws attention to the paint, which also opens up shots on the perimeter for these guys. I just like whoever they're going to have at that five spot for the entirety. Um for all 48 minutes of every game. And you know what, Carson? If Kemba is fully healthy, if Kemba is anything reminiscent of what he once was, I can see this team winning 50 games because Kemba changes everything for this team. I just don't believe in it. I don't believe in him to, you know, get back up to 20 points per game. I don't... I don't know if I believe in Kemba to shoot efficiently from behind the perimeter, man. Like, I... I'm just worried a lot about Kemba in general. Wow. That surprises me. I mean, I don't know why we would be skeptical of his shot. And again, there were stretches last year where he wasn't getting to the rim like he had previously, and that was concerning. And maybe part of that was health-related and just aging. I think a lot of it was directly health-related as he dealt with injuries throughout the year. But when you look at him out there, I mean, he's still crazy quick. His cross is still lightning fast. The shin angles that he can create and launch from are still ridiculous. The step backs are still there. Like, he is a tough bucket, man. He is a bucket. And by the way, when it comes to the 20 points per game number, he was at 19.3 last year in what I think we can both agree was a thoroughly disappointing and inconsistent season as a clear third option. Here, I think he is clearly the second-best offensive player, and even though there's maybe more depth of talent, I think he can get right up there. I mean, the five previous years, that's what he did. He was 20-plus a game, and I understand that we've seen regression, but I am not all out on Kemba Walker, and I think that the value at which they were able to bring him in 
props to this front office, man. Props to Leon Rose and the boys because the Knicks, they found a way last year. It still doesn't fully make sense to me. I still think it was kind of fraudulent. But in finding a way, they opened up the door for a lot more. And they're not going to win a title. They're not in that conversation. But they are in the hall of really good. And that's a great spot to be in when you sucked for 20 years. So there you have it. Our Knicks takes. I think that they're better than the Boston Celtics. And I think that they could win 50 games, although it's going to be a tall task. I think they're probably in the high 40s instead. And as I said, I have them at 48 and as the seven seed. Okay. Last team in this division, Logan. You are not excited about the Toronto Raptors. We talked about this beforehand. I said, oh man, I've got so many Raptors takes. And you said, I don't care. I hate not only the Raptors, but Canadians. That's what you said to me. You said, I hate Canadians. And I knew a guy who had a maple syrup conglomerate once and I killed him. This is what you said to me. I'm suing you for libel. (laughs) I've learned all about this this year because actually I do pay attention in my JMZ 402 class, mass communication law. This is defamation, okay? (laughs) And I would never do that to Pierre. And you know that, okay? I love Canadians. Bret Hart, (laughs) (laughs) Pierre, you know, uh, Andrew Wiggins. Ryan Reynolds. Is Ryan Reynolds Canadian? Most of them are. Norm MacDonald. I'm not a big Justin Bieber guy, you know. But I'll go to war for Bret Hart. Bro, why did you just why did you just lie on the beat? Why did you just say I hated Canadians? Logan, to be clear, this did not meet the standards for libel because no reasonable person would take that claim seriously. And therefore it is satire or a parody. These people don't know me. These people don't know anything about me. They can believe anything you tell them. They know you hate the Canucks, which is, by the way, an anti-Canadian term that I hear you use often, and it offends me. I've literally never said that word in my life. I will have you know, I eat maple sausage every morning, bro. How can I hate a Canadian? Seriously, though, I am not excited to talk about this team. They were kind of... The Raptors were really fraudulent last year in the fact that they were league average by offensive rating and defensive rating, and in close games, they just choked. And I think that has a lot to do with the... COVID situation, I think it had a lot to do with them playing in Tampa Bay and not having fans late in games. Like, literally, dude, they were bottom five in clutch offense and clutch defense. Like, the Raptors could not, for their life, close out games. And while those are also factors, one of the biggest factors, they just don't have a late-game creator that they can really rely on. And some people will tell you that that is Fred Van Vliet. Look, bruh, I'm not a believer. Fred Van Vliet's a good guy. He's a guy that I trust to produce points out of the pick and roll to get his own buckets. He's not a guy I want driving to the rack, though. He's not a guy that even intimidates defenses in driving to the rack. I'm not relying on Pascal Siakam. The shot is just not there. The bag is just not there. And that's kind of a theme that I have for this team as a whole. Like, like I like Drogic, but we have seen staunch regression from him over the past few seasons. There's just a lack of offensive creation here. And I just don't really believe in a whole lot of these guys. Like, defensively, I love this team. I think this is going to be a tough defensive team, dude. Freddie, Pascal, OG, the addition of Scotty Barnes, Kim Birch. Kim Birch is like my favorite player next to Emmanuel Quickly. I do mean that satirically, but Kim Birch is a dog. But I just, I don't see it, Carson. There is a lack of creation here in this team. There is a lack of offensive firepower. There is a lack of punch. The Raptors, to me, are just, eh. I think they're going to drastically miss Kyle Lowry and his big old butt. You know what I mean? Like, I just think, I just don't see it offensively, man. 
You're entrusting, again, a lot in, in Pascal Siakam, in Fred Van Vliet. I think they've regressed in terms of just star punch there and losing Kyle Lowry. So, yeah, man, I just don't see it. To me, the Raptors are just average. Again, I like the defensive assets here, but they're just eh. Yeah, I think average is a pretty good way to put it, but I don't think that that means that they are boring, and I don't think that means that they aren't interesting because I think that this is a really important year for this organization and that you're just a couple years removed from a title run, and here you are. You've lost a significant amount of the most relevant guys from that team, and you are coming off of an unbelievably disappointing season. The Raptors went 27-45 and 45 last year. After they were what, 53 and 19 the regular season before that? And I thought that they were going to go to the finals and they were a top two defense in the NBA. Like, that was a really great team. And then they just lost it all like that. You mentioned it. I just think that the record was deceptive to begin with. Like, they were basically even by net rating, they were basically average on both ends. And it was surprising that they regressed from second defensively to 15th. But I still think the offense was solid. I still think we saw the value of them having multiple creators and multiple high-level shooters. And I think that they can be respectable there again. I do agree with you, though, completely on the limiting factor for this team. And it is the lack of a really high-level, top-end, number-one creator. For at least a few weeks of the season, that burden is going to fall on Fred Van Vliet because Pascal Siakam is still going to be out probably into early November as he rehabs a shoulder injury. And that is just not a role that Fred Van Vliet can survive in. Like, he doesn't have the skill set. He doesn't have the physical build, first of all. That dude is 6-1 on a very, very, very good day. And in games without Lowry last year, which we saw 14 of, he shot 36.5%. Last year overall, he was below 42% inside the arc. At the rim, he was 53%, which is a very low number. Like, you just can't build around him. I love his playmaking. I love his aggression, his dog mentality. I love his shooting off ball. But there is just a ceiling for a guy like that who doesn't even have the in-between game. Like, he doesn't have a reliable floater. He just doesn't have that kind of presence out of the pick and roll as a scorer to say, hey, we'll lean on you for our offense. So not having a guy like that is a problem. And then Siakam is coming off of just a wildly disappointing year. And I do think he's going to bounce back. And in fact, I think that we could see the best version of Siakam that we have for a full season. I don't think he's ever going to top what he did in those first couple months of 2019-20 when he was dropping 27 a game. Like, that was nuts. But I do think we saw his playmaking was significantly improved last year. He was making advanced reads more than ever before. It just happened to be that he seemed rattled mentally. He shot sub-30% after being a 36% guy from deep on volume shooting the year before that. I just don't think that is going to happen again. I don't think he's going to struggle like that again. That being said, I don't think he's a guy who elevates overall team offense all that much. And I think that, again, it's important to have multiple creators. He's valuable there. But he's not going to make this team really good offensively on his own or anything like that. He can be a part of a really good offense but he does need the ball a lot. He isn't crazy efficient as a scorer, and he's a solid but unexceptional playmaker. So the star-level guys, if you can call them that, and I think that they're on the outskirts of that conversation, are just not good enough for you to really contend or be even a very good playoff team, in my opinion. However, 
this team is clearly going to be leaps and bounds better than last year, no matter what. And part of that is, I really like the depth here. And I think that there are a few interesting guys to talk about, but just looking at the additions, basically over the last year plus, I think there have been several important ones. And I think that you mentioned Drogic. Sure, he's regressed, but he's still very valuable as a complimentary piece as a starter or as a sort of lead ball handler off the bench. I think that Gary Trent is a fascinating component here. For those who have listened to Nerd Sesh for a while, I loved Gary Trent relative to expectations. And then I think there are some times where he gets a little too big for his britches and tries to do too much as Morty is staring me right in the face. I'm not quite sure why. But I just think when it comes to his role in Toronto, you need to clearly outline it. And you need to make him basically the ultimate catch and shooter. Because I thought once he moved on from Portland and went to Toronto and was like, this season is in shambles and I can just kind of do as I please, we saw him just become a less effective player. Like, In Portland, 58% of his shots were threes, as they should be, because he's one of the best dead-eye shooters off movement, off the bounce, off the catch in basketball. In Toronto, that number was under 48%. And I think you see it even preseason, like in their matchup with the Celtics. It's when he has a shot created for him, you think that's a good look. But when he is trying to do it for himself off the bounce, he's just too limited. He's not dynamic enough to get to the rim. He's not a good playmaker. And it ends up just being a lot of tough mid-range pull-ups that I just don't want. So I think he can be a really good third offensive player. I just don't think he's a guy who can put the ball in his hands a ton. But nevertheless, I think he can give you 17 a game on 40% from deep. And he's just another really good player. I think that this Toronto team has several really good players. I think OG... Coming off a career year in which he averaged 16 a game on 40% from deep is just another really good two-way player. So there's no world in which they just plummet to me. And I haven't even gotten to the young guys who I like a lot because I don't want to monologue for 10 minutes here. But am I being overly optimistic and saying that like as far as your top five guys go, you could do worse than FVV, FVV, Siakam, Gary Trent, Drogic, and OG Ananobi when I also think you have really... Solid depth? No, I mean, I agree that they're they're just they're just so mediocre. And again, yeah, they're good supporting pieces. That's why Kawhi Leonard was able to step into a situation like this with Kyle Lowry when you had a second genuine star and be one of the best teams in the NBA, be one of the best defenses in the NBA. But I think just so average. Again, like, yeah, I like OG and Gary Trent are two of the best off-ball guys that you can get in basketball especially defensively. OG Ananobi is an absolute dog. I just, I do want to touch on Siakam for a second. I hate watching that guy play basketball, bruh. I just, I hate watching Pascal with the ball in his hands. I hate, he's just an ugly basketball player, bruh. He's not an aesthetically pleasing dude. Like, he just, he's kind of (laughs) like, he's kind of like watered down Julius Randle. You know what I mean? Like, Siakam, to me, just has a long way to go before he can be a number one guy. And maybe he's even not. Maybe Van Vliet is the number one guy here. I just, I don't know, man. I don't like Siakam being your number one or your number two. He's just not a guy that I want in this role. And maybe one day, maybe one day from force-feeding Siakam these touches, he really improves as a playmaker, as you said, with the ball in his hands. Maybe he develops a bag. Maybe he'd have, yeah, Spinderella. That's a good way to put it, dude. Not a deep bag. 
I'm just not a big Siakam guy. I'll get started, though, with the young guys that you mentioned, dude. I don't know how you can't like the depth that these, these guys have here. And that, to me, is the beauty of the Toronto Raptors organization and the beauty of the future of this franchise because whoever they take, if it's on the wings, if it's Siakam, if it's Ananobi, because we have to contextualize, these are not guys that out of the draft that people believed in. It has taken leaps and bounds for these guys to become the good basketball players that they are. The Raptors have developed them exceptionally. And that's why I have faith that they will develop Scotty Barnes into an at least an above-average sub-all-star level player. That's why I trust them to develop Malachi Flynn and Precious, uh, excuse me, Precious Achiwa to sub-all-star caliber guys. Like, they are just... They're, gr- they're going to be great players, and I have supreme faith that they will be at least supporting role players here. Malachi Flynn out of the pick and roll is exceptional. He has got amazing change of pace. And dude, I don't know how you can have watched preseason and just be mesmerized by the handle that this kid has, dude. Like he is shaking guys off the dribble. He is deceptive with the ball in his hands. He is deceptive with that handle. Malachi Flynn is a special player. And one day, Carson, I don't like Van Vliet long-term. I don't like Van Vliet as one of your top three guys. Preferably, I'd like for them to move off of them for just a guy that is more more just commanding and intimidating in the lane. But he's a decent ball handler. Malachi Flynn, I think, could maybe be your lead ball handler one day or a great number two option. The kid's just special out of the pick and roll, and you need that in today's NBA. And then Achua, I loved him in Miami. I love him anywhere, man. The guy is a hard, tenacious worker. He's a guy that I think can just give you 16 and 10 in a very simplified role and play really hard-nosed defense. So they're not there yet, but there is no organization that I would trust more than to take these young guys and develop them into really talented role players. And I think we're going to see that this year. That's why that you, again, you're not going to trust them to be a genuine contender. You're not going to trust them to have this supreme ceiling. The depth here is crazy. There's just good basketball players up and down this roster, and that's why they're going to be fun to watch. You know, they're not. that's why they can't be outright atrocious. And I guess that's what you like out of them. Yeah, I agree. I think that that is fundamentally why I have faith in this team and excitement about this team. And I will also say that there's just sort of an intrinsic belief in their coaching, in their culture, and in their defensive identity that we saw two years ago, even if they had some lapses there last year. I just think they're going to be really competitive. I think they're going to play hard. These are guys who are used to winning. They don't want to suck for consecutive years. And things like that matter. It's not enough to make you a great team, but it's enough to make you competitive. And they're not without talent at all. But the young guys are my favorite part of this team. Malachi Flynn, I mean, he was one of my favorite picks of the draft. I thought very clearly this was a highly skilled scoring, playmaking combo, versatile guy offensively. And we have just seen more and more progression from him. Down the stretch last year, over the Raptors' last 24 games, he was 12.5 points and 4.5 assists a night on 38% from deep. That was really impressive. He had some great 20-plus points showings there. Then in Summer League, he was 17 a game on 41% from deep. I just think preseason, he's been impressive. Had 20 in one of these games, if I'm not mistaken. The dude is just going to be really good. And running a bench unit or helping run a bench unit he's going to be fantastic and is going to end up being one of the best value picks out of that draft last year. Precious Achua, man, another guy who I didn't love as much as a prospect, but once we saw it in action in Miami, I was like, this dude is just a dog. He is so mobile defensively. It's ridiculous. His feet are nuts. And then offensively, 
I would love it if he could really establish the shot a little bit more. He's taken a couple. We've seen him make two threes in preseason. It's still not great. The touch isn't great there, but he's athletic. He's confident. He's aggressive. He can handle. He can push and transition. And at the end of the day, even in a more simplified role, I love him defensively. I love him as a hustle guy, scrapping, and he's been productive. Preseason, he's putting up 12 and 9. And uh, I just think another guy who is going to be legitimately good. And then Scotty Barnes has been great. Like, look, I don't know if I'm all in on taking him over Jalen Suggs, but his playmaking has translated immediately. I think his defensive toughness and just incredible tools there are going to matter immediately more than they do for almost any other rookie. Why are you shaking your head? No, I think the Raptors just messed up in not taking Jalen Suggs. Sure. I think that I probably agree too. And I think that Scotty's going to be kind of a weird player. And I don't think that he's maybe quite in the same tier of the other top five guys as far as talent, because this draft is ridiculous, but he's a great athlete. He's a great competitor. He's smart. He's going to play hard and he's going to impact the game in multiple phases. And so, I mean, now we've listed out the top five guys who I said are solid, these three young bucks. And then you have the big depth with Boucher and Birch. Those are your top 10 guys, dude. Like, there's not a weak link in there. That's a lot of guys who I think can actually play winning basketball. So, if you just look up and down this team, dude, they're starting five. Everybody can shoot the ball, assuming that Siakam doesn't just outright suck. There's a couple playmakers in, uh, you know, if Dragic starts him and Van Vliet, or even Siakam will bring you some of that. There's defensive toughness up and down. There's depth. I think that they're going to be fine. I have them winning 39 games. I wanted to get them up to 40, but I was like, I know I'm going to have to knock off wins from so many teams. And at the end of the day, I do think even compared to a team like the Hornets or the Pacers, who I think are the play-in teams, there's a bit of a talent gap as far as the high-end guys, those elite offensive engines. But I think the depth is comparable, and I think the defense is going to be really, really good. And... They could 100% make a play-in push. I think that this team could go over 500. It's going to take a lot because their talent level isn't there compared to some other teams in that same tier. But there are some of those intangible things that I think they can channel. And it's going to depend on the young guys. They're going to have to play big roles, but I feel like their young guys are as well-equipped to do that as anybody's. Yeah, I agree on some portions. I agree with the defensive ceiling. I disagree with the play-in push. I think there's just a fundamental gap between them and the offensive ability of other teams. I just don't trust this team enough in the big moments, late in games again, to create that good offense and just kind of consistently to create good offense. But this is going to be a competitive team night to night. Maybe I'm underselling Drogic a little bit. I am really thinking, because it is a drop-off from Lowry, but Drogic is going to be good enough. So I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I'm really interested to see how this team gels together. But I just think offensively, there's just going to be a little bit of a struggle for this team to create consistent offense, and especially late in games. I've got them winning 35 games, and I think I'm going to stay with there concretely. Like, I don't think I'm going to knock off. I'm going to knock off wins from a lot of other teams around the NBA. 35 to me is the floor for this Toronto Raptors team, but I'm probably going to stay there. But this dude really thought I was going to get through an entire segment without bringing up Sveed Mikhailuk. Bro, that dude has been knocking down some pull-up threes here in preseason, bruh. That's about all I got to say. The kid's nice off the dribble a little bit. He's nice off the catch. Not really going to play a major role in this team. Probably get like seven minutes a night. That dude's kind of a stone-cold buck, though, from deep. 
what, you're not a big Shvi guy? I thought this was nerd sesh. I thought this is where we brought up the 12th and 13th men of NBA rosters. Look, there's nothing wrong with that, but I think saying that Mr. Mikhailuk is going to play seven minutes a night might be a little bit generous. I don't think that he's in the rotation regularly. And by the way, if I'm not mistaken, he balled out in preseason last year too. I guess I'm kind of mistaken. He scored 8.3 a game on 45% from deep. That's pretty good. Yeah, he can shoot the hell out of the ball, uh, but nah, he doesn't do much else, and I don't think that he's going to play here. But they clearly don't need him because, as we've said, depth is not our concern with the Raptors. Where are they going? Like, if this year they just suck, are they just all in on the tank and building around the young guys and trading Van Vliet and Siakam? I, if you if you please, I want to touch on this because I just think, I said this earlier, I just think passing on Jalen Suggs was just a, such a huge misstep for this franchise. I don't know why you felt the need to add more wing depth when you already have Siakam and Ananobi unless you plan on moving one of the two in the future. Personally, I'd move off of Siakam. I don't think he's a guy who plays winning basketball, and I think he's got decent value for a dumb franchise, you know, that would be willing to give you even a first-round pick and an asset for him, and I think there's a team around the league that would do that because I think Scotty does play winning basketball, and I think he's a piece that could coexist with Ananobi. But if you plan to keep all of these guys, well, you can't start all of them. And just looking at what you needed, Suggs fills that role, even down to the defensive tenacity, man. Like, damn, Suggs is just a guy that brings you everything that you need here. Even if you brought him off the bench and let Drogic and Van Vliet run the show, Suggs would be the best, like, offensive runner. Like, I just, ugh. It hurts my head, dude. Jalen Suggs is such a versatile asset. He's a guy, in my opinion, that you can anchor your offense and your defense around for years to come. And I'm not saying that, look, again, like I said, I trust the Raptors to build and progress any pieces they get in here, get in this roster, especially offensive pieces, or excuse me, especially wing pieces. But I just think Suggs is there offensively, and I don't know if Barnes is there. You know, I trust Suggs' shot more. I trust him to create offense out of the pick and roll more. I trust him to create opportunities for his teammates more. And I expect him to bring that same defensive spirit to your defense the way that Barnes is going to. I just think this was a misstep for the franchise unless you have some long-term, you know, plan in mind. But I don't see it. Like, what is your long-term plan? To just have <laughs> to just have five, six, nine dudes start? Like, I don't know, man. I, I just think Suggs is better now. I think Suggs is the better bet as just an offensive engine in the future. I love Scotty. And I think ceiling-wise, maybe Scotty has a higher ceiling because you like his turnaround jumper, you like him in the lane. I just don't get it, bruh. I think it was I think it was a gaffe on the on the part of the Raptors organization. Yeah, I would have gone Suggs, and I think that the argument for Scotty is probably that he could end up being maybe the best wing defender on the planet. Like that's his ceiling. I don't think that that's impossible for him. Tough, but I think he could easily be all defense. And then he's kind of just a Swiss Army knife. And if he can shoot 35% from deep, it's a hell of a player. A hell of a player who can play make and who is crazy athletic as a cutter and can handle and can defend at a super high level. I just don't think scoring is ever going to be supernatural for him. And I don't think that shot is ever going to be a weapon. And maybe it'll be solid. But I think that immediately he's going to come in and play hard and have something of an impact. So... I agree with you. I think that they probably didn't make the right call there. You may notice Logan is very passionate about Jalen Suggs. 
there may or may not be more content coming related to that. Based on the fact that I said that, maybe there is, but I don't know. You never know with me. I'm unpredictable. I'm tough to read. And just like that, this show is over. Good night, New York. But we actually are done here. And with that, Logan, 30 NBA teams, six episodes, boom. We have run down each and every one. As we have said throughout this whole series, all the records, all the seedings should be pretty accurate, what we've said so far, but also liable to change within a game or two, within a spot or two as far as seeding. So we will have all that finalized now because we have to go out and flatten out all of our records and make the league 500 and get our standings in order. You can see all of that on our social media soon. We will get some graphics up for that on Twitter and on Instagram, where you can follow us at nerd underscore sesh on Twitter and at nerd sesh on Instagram. And we will also address all that on our podcast Monday, where again, we will do playoff predictions, award stuff. Honestly, Logan, I'm still not sure if I know who I have winning the title. I know I did my whole Nets thing today. I have them coming out of the East. It's going to be tough to figure out who I have winning the title. I got to do some thinking. I got to do some thinking. But all right, that's going to do it. Hopefully you enjoyed this. If you did, you can find more Nerd Sesh content here on our YouTube channel. As you can see, we have done three podcasts already this week. We do NBA and NFL content often. Much of it is live streamed here on our YouTube channel. We do have one more show coming out this Friday, which will be only in audio form on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your audio content. The link to the podcast will be in the description here. And with that, as always, I have been Carson Brabber. I have been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh.